Hey everyone, thanks for downloading the show. As you know, this show couldn't exist without your generous support. So if you'd like to contribute and support the show, head over to the Brains Matter website and click on one of the green donation buttons. You can donate in US or Australian dollars, but if you have any other currency, don't worry, those will be automatically converted over. You could also consider becoming a patron of the show over at patreon.com slash brainsmatter and checking out the options there. Remember, this is your show, and without your support, it wouldn't be possible. Now on to the episode. Welcome to Brains Matter, the podcast on science, curiosities, and general knowledge. I'm your host, just an ordinary guy. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Brains Matter. On today's show, I've got David Lee, who runs an organisation called GI Jamie. So first up, David, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. As a bit of a background, could you tell us what you do for a living and your background and how you came up with the concept of GI Jamie? Sure. So for myself, I've been a professional in the tech industry, predominantly the web space. And then what happened was, I guess, when my kids got a bit older and started hearing more about what was happening in primary school, I started hearing a lot more about a STEM or the importance of STEM or STEAM and coding and digital skills for our kids to really thrive in this dynamic future. What happened was when I saw a lot of what was happening in the schools, I saw a lot of, I guess, coding with blocks and without a lot of context. And then I started to think from what I'd known professionally, could I actually do something to help these kids learn coding in a more, I guess, cross-functional and contextual way? I remember when um, I was doing computer science at school, this is going to show my age a little bit, we were doing <laughs> Logo, if you remember that. That's, yeah, I remember. And that, did you do COBOL as well, by any chance? No, no, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did COBOL and I always heard my mum talking about COBOL and I remember seeing uh, the, the, like all these notepads she had around with all these like grids and squares. <laughs> and then when I actually learned it, I was like, oh my gosh, now I know why she had all those pads around. Very funnily enough, in my, one of my first gigs was like, yeah, you see the COBOL programmers and went, well, maybe she was onto something back then. <laughs> well, in, in year nine, we did Logo. And then in year 10, we did Pascal, if you remember that name ah, after yes. Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal was a, a, a famous French mathematician. So the language is named after uh, his honor. And can I ask though, at the, at the time, was it kind of considered that it's a bit kind of nerdy and, and geeky to be interested in these sort of things? Uh, it, it was, but um, yeah. at the time, the computers were kind of taking off a little bit more of some personal computers. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if uh, you remember this, and this might be a little bit old school for a lot of the listeners, but there were machines around like the Commodore 64, the Apple IIe, mm. and then the Apple Mac was just about to sort of, you know, surge into popularity, the old um, square bricks as they were back then. I remember the cassette drives for the Commodore 64. Oh, yeah, you, you used to put a tape in to load your game up and go outside and, yeah. it and come back half an hour later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, it's on the title screen now. Yeah, yeah. and I remember the five, five minute quarters as well and flipping the discs around. And good times, actually. <laughs> Showing both our ages, maybe. <laughs> and then rather, I thought that one of the key things was missing if they're talking about 
we want to prepare them with skills for the future. I thought if they're learning, I think when I look at some of those, I guess, gaming platforms and, you know, it's kind of cool. They, they learn logic in terms of to do things within the game. But I thought one thing that was missing was like, how do you um, connect it to a real world problem? I mean, the reason why is we want to learn coding, for example, is that we're trying to build solutions uh, to solve real problems. And I thought that connection was missing. And as I talked more, schools and and saw what's happening in the classroom there was still also that gap between i guess sparking an interest in primary school and then when they move to secondary school that there's a there's a gap the interest doesn't carry through and hence then it's not going to make its way to university and then not also produce more sort of graduates in that field how did you go about approaching the schools through the referrals and then bouncing the idea and then proposing a pilot program this was about in 2016 so that was one way through. And another way was through my children's local school here in Glen Waverley. And I guess that's it's almost like from a sales perspective, when you've got the warm leads in, it's a lot easier than, than knocking on the door and saying, hello, can I speak to the principal, please? And they're like, who are you? <laughs> so yeah. that was the, the two key ways where I managed to actually test a lot of ideas and concepts with the children, primary school children in the classroom and to get really good feedback. What I did was when I, when I thought about, okay, what are the, I guess, important skills that I learned uh, both from working for a tech company and also working for corporate companies was that how do we tie it into something meaningful for them? So what I did was I designed a, a program where essentially it's kind of like the sort of entrepreneurship bootcamp, but it's like, what's a problem that's meaningful to them? And then how do they go through designing a solution forming teams or essentially forming their own startups and then learning to code. So one key difference also was learning to code with real, I guess, HTML, CSS and JavaScript. So they were building a website to address a problem they were meaningful about rather than, I guess, thinking about just games where they're uh, doing things to get to an end level. It was about, Oh wow. I really care about cybersecurity or I really care yeah, about safe browsing on the internet or is it a safe content for kids? And these are a lot of the themes that come up with those kids at that age, which was years five and six at the time. So the first step for me was to, what was a program look like? Uh, learn more about pedagogical practices and then test it, test it out with the kids and see how they, how they went with it. So I guess quite a lot of iteration from terms of the content and structure and uh, the, the delivery, uh, a lot of the initial feedback was very positive in terms of they understood a lot of the core concepts you know they form their teams they start to learn more even just design principles but you know when you're coding something or when you're designing something what is the purpose of it and then then they're very motivated to start learning how to code for example a button and then how does that button go to another page and you know what was great was that see i guess for something that where very stereotypical is like a, a very smart boy that usually does do, you know, does all this coding, it was great to see a whole mix of not just uh, girls, but also boys who might come from more sporty backgrounds to really get into uh, coding their website with real lines of code because they were doing something that was meaningful. So I guess that's how it started. And then what happened was uh, when I started to look into it and how could I build something more sustainable out of it, the thought then came to me, is this something where I could empower the teachers to run what I was doing? And because I wanted to think, how could I impact more children to have this experience where they feel empowered to make a difference and learn new skills that they didn't think they could. And that's when I started to pilot a online program. So it was a lot of 
video content and tools for teachers to help manage the classrooms and also an online web platform that made it a lot easier for schools to roll out en masse. And again, got the feedback, tested it out with students, and again, had a lot of positive feedback and tried to leverage a lot of the benefits of technology. And what happened was, um, I guess, fast forwarding a bit, was that I was in discussions with how to roll it out and incorporate as part of the curriculum, and COVID-19 happened. Now, what's interesting is that as the schools shifted a lot to remote learning, logically, you might think that they might start to think more about these sort of programs. What I found, though, was they seem to be just trying to think how to, uh, I'm generalizing here, but a lot of it was just how to get to a, I guess, not a status quo, but first getting teachers and students settled with remote learning, which is very different, and then easing their way back to face-to-face -to -face learning. And during that time, as you, as you know, that a lot of schools, parents aren't allowed in school, so there's minimal interaction now. And a lot of the focus is just on, I guess, the everyday business or everyday education operations. I'm not sure the equivalent name of BAU is in the school environment, but that. So it was, it was hard to get their attention and they were focusing on other things. So that's what, I know fast forwarded a fair bit, but that's where we got to more recently. And it kind of made me think that, I guess with, with schools, they're a lot like uh, corporations where you have a long process to get things implemented. And it made me think again about, well, if my core purpose is that I want to impact these kids to collaborate with each other around the world and, and learn these skills uh, to create a better future for the world, then is there another way to go about it? So that's sort of the, my thought process at the time. And one of the other things, it's, it's tricky. It's something I've been doing by myself uh, in between the day job. So there's a very limited ceiling for how far I can take it with just my knowledge, skills and expertise and not having the people to bounce ideas off. So have you found the reception from schools because um, did they feel like it was something that they needed or was it something they a few of them thought, well, we've already got an IT program. Why would we need someone from the outside to come in to tell us how to run this? Yeah, and that, that really varies. So, because during that process, I, also, I spoke to probably about 10 to 15 schools through uh, introductions. And it really varied from, depending on the socioeconomic as well, there's some that would say, oh, the parents and kids here would love this. And this, I really see this as a way to enrich the curriculum. And then the discussion was going to budget, et cetera. Some would then be like, ah, oh, you know, I think, you know, we're struggling to get them to do activities X, Y, and Z. I think this would be too much for them. So it really was a big range. Ultimately, I think though that because there's, and you know, not the hugest of sample sizes, but because there's a lot of solutions that can tick boxes in terms of curriculums or how to say, there are a lot of, I guess, solutions. Like if you look at a lot of the maths platforms like Prodigy and et cetera, and Tinker and code.org and there's a lot of things and scratch, right? There's a lot of things that, yeah, definitely they, they are free or they have freemium versions and they teach some fundamentals and, you know, the desire to raise that and enrich that to another level can, can really, I guess, vary. And if I had to put my, make a call on it, 
I would say it's seen more as an enrichment rather than a fundamental at this stage. Because I guess a lot of times you take into account a lot of the uh, teachers, they, they don't learn in their, their training and, and expertise and knowledge and everything they've gone through to get them to, to be teaching and in, in the classroom environment doesn't have this sort of, I guess, content or mindsets. And, you know, it's, it's one thing that's hard that you want to try and help bridge the gap and say, hey, just because you haven't doesn't mean something you're not capable of. And you try, I try to take more of an approach of you don't have to be the subject matter expert. And this is what a lot of the content and tools I'm providing wants to take care of. But it'll, I want it to allow you to do what you best. And how do you empower the kids to move past barriers, to have that belief in themselves and, yeah, to take to take uh, active approach and active control of their own learning and have it self-paced and self-directed. So that's another thing in that a lot of the, I guess, the, the teacher, for the teachers, it's something that's quite new to them as well. There's going to be some more barriers to understanding because it's something that they're not familiar with as well. A lot of the primary school age kids, you mentioned that you wanted to make it something that is relevant to the real world for them. How do yes. you go from someone who's you know, a primary school age kid who hasn't done programming before to mm-hmm. looking at the level of skill required to do something which is real world enabled because you know going back to my primary school days when I was learning Mm -hmm. basic was basically printing words on the screen or drawing little pictures which you know it teaches you know very basic programming skills but let's face it they're not real world applications so yeah to, to your point obviously in a so the programs were in for 10 weeks and it was like essentially one hour a week and they would work in between but in in that short amount of time they're not going to be building full-blown solutions which is not really the point um it's more that they start to learn some of the fundamentals in coding and they can take it further so typically by the end of that 10 weeks a lot of them and you know it's probably a good four or five of those weeks at most is where they actually focus on the coding They'll learn how to, in from HTML CSS perspective, it's all about headings, uh, images, links, and and some go a bit deeper. But for that sort of visual gratification and being able to do that through code and start to see that belief in themselves that, hey, it looks like all just, uh, as they say, you know, like gibberish or something like that to, hey, I actually make sense of this all and give them appreciation for when they're using like their iPads or drive or going to a website that, Hey, it's actually, there's quite a lot that goes behind each little click. You know, that's the key sort of outcome that I was aiming for at the end of this program that, Hey, I, it's, it's about tying together coding and digital skills to solve a, a real world problem. And that sort of context for them definitely motivates them to troubleshoot and debug their code and to hopefully see a new possibility for themselves. Now, whether they, whether they actually want to go down and, become full stack developers is another thing and you know not not everyone is going to want to go down that path but i think if a lot of them have that sort that sort of all-round exposure and appreciation for what goes into building products and why i think that that can go a long way today's patreon listener of the episode is brenton edwards and thanks very much for your support, Brenton. All support goes into the show fully in terms of website hosting and all the other things. Without people's support, the show wouldn't happen. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, go to patreon.com slash brainsmatter and you'll be able to see various options for supporting the show. So what are some of the examples of um, 
some of these programs that the kids have done that has surprised you or, or uh, amazed you? I think that the thing that amazes me is how they organically pair program and something that's not as if like in, it's a very defined structured process for, I guess, professionals, like, you know, do some code, um, raise a pull request and let's do a code review. Uh, with them, it's almost, it's like it organically happens, which is to me really impressive and amazing and, and shows the inherent teamwork and, you know, compassionate hearts that the kids have at this age. So I'll give an example. It's like, let's say when they're going into coding and let's just say they're trying to display an image, right? And for some reason, they've got a little cross because they haven't got the link correct or they're really trying to work out why they can't change the width and the heights. And when you see them sit together, even if they're not in the same team, but then to go through it and go, hey, have you thought about this or this and this? For people who weren't, uh, or for students who don't have that background and organically for it to happen, that's the sort of thing that I think is amazing because uh, I'll put my own lens on it when I, in the, in the professional environment, um, it's funny as adults, as we kind of grow up, we can become a bit more narrow-minded or closed-minded and and less, I guess, empathetic. And, you know, when I see that, that they're going out of their way to work together for a better outcome and there's a tangible result of how they can help someone else uh, increase their capabilities, that to me is the most amazing thing. It's, it's like that, that sort of elements of, of teamwork. In terms of where you want to see GI Jamie go next, what are yeah. your plans? Yeah, really, really interesting question. To help this, because because I want it to be, think of what will work out, what's a sustainable business model, because I wanted the impact to go far beyond essentially the 10 or so children who I could spend my time with. One of the things is, one of the things I did was took a, a the entrepreneurship bootcamp with MIT. And it's almost been like now, I guess, got the framework to to follow a business or to work out a business model a lot of the numbers or unit economics don't add up and it's i guess one of the challenges you start to see more and more of these i guess edtech companies that have encountered a lot of the same challenges with schools if you think from a b2b perspective a long sales cycle and limited budgets and those unit economics don't really add up so for me it kind of stopped me from thinking more about the core of what I was trying to do. And to your original question, for me, definitely what I wanted, where I wanted to see it is that GI Jamie as a program, as a platform, is able to be accessible by children or students around the world where they collaborate and learn the important digital and people and skills that are going to be really required in, in, in the future. Uh, unfortunately, at this stage, it's I'm still working through what that sustainable model looks like. And, and part of that also is just at the moment, it's being able to share that journey with someone else. So it, you mentioned um, the skills doing coding brings to the table. When you formed GI Jamie, did you think there yep. was a gap that needed to be filled? I, I found that a lot of the coding programs that were being used, like Scratch, like Tinker, that again, didn't tie it into beyond more of a gaming concept. And I thought there's something in terms of how do I make it relevant? So what's in it for me? And I'm just thinking back to all my own, even high school learnings where I struggled to really tie relevance to why I was learning a lot of this. I wanted it for them to be meaningful. And the gap I saw was that it, it didn't tie into something that was as meaningful to them that they could direct the outcome and also didn't allow them to work in teams. So I, wholeheartedly believe working together with others 
this is going to be such a key part moving forward in the future. And school has a lot of those, obviously, project-based learning and, and team activities. But from a coding perspective, I didn't see anything that was encouraging that teamwork as they were learning to code. And that was the sort of, uh, I guess, the niche that I tried to fill. It's like, how could they code together in teams to solve a real-world problem? And that was, I guess, the high-level objective. And that's where it leads to what we are talking about before, that whether they went down and, and built a database and or an application layer with all the business logic wasn't the big thing for me. It was like, at that age, how could they then see a purpose to what they were doing? And as well, at the same time, learn, I guess, entrepreneurial skills and also some high-level design skills as well. So part of it is also not just coding and you're going to put buttons everywhere and images everywhere, but what is the key thing that you want the user to achieve and, you know, getting feedback on that. So there is some high level UX principles in there as well. So you mentioned scratch and a few other things. Are those some of the languages that you're using or some of the tools that you're using, or um, do you vary it based on skill level, age, all that sort of thing? Funny. So scratch uh, is a, it's one of those, it's a coding platform, but it's, how to say they can create a lot of their own games or videos where they have to learn to, to create all those things. They have those sort of drag and drop logic. Um, and there's a lot of, I guess, platforms like that where an, another one, they're not languages per se, uh, but they're more sort of platforms that teach coding fundamentals. Tinker is one where it's a, a gaming platform where they essentially do things where they drag and drop and connect blocks to form commands. And they're really good for um, showing those fundamentals and piquing the interest. Uh, one of the f- feedback that I came across as well was that sometimes they'll say something like show JavaScript and then they'll see something like forward and open brackets and a semicolon. And then you're missing how you tie that into, I guess, a real world application. Right? With the languages, one of the, so this uh, program was the digital events program, which I've been talking about that goes into HTML, CSS and a, a teeny bit of JavaScript, but the main reason behind that is that websites are something that they can all easily identify with and it's very visual. Now, uh, one of the other things in terms of language that you use is there's this really awesome program called Sonic Pi. And that's where essentially such a powerful tool and simple that you can create incredible music through real code, right? And they use Ruby, Ruby, uh, Ruby as the language. And that's where you think of, again, when, when you think of how do you, expose and encourage and engage students from a different perspective definitely those with a musical background it could be really appealing to them because for example they know all about keys and playing melodies now they can think all right so how do i translate that into code and then they start to learn all those fundamentals they've got a big incentive because the music is something that's really interesting to them and then how do they learn to create a song so i've done a separate program like that where again kids uh, collaborated they first learned the fundamentals and how to do like uh, just like different notes and then loops and then you got your if statements and everything as well in there and then they collaborated to to make their own song and that's where it feels like uh, I talked about it, touched on it briefly before but when you take a cross-functional approach I think coding is something that personally I think it shouldn't be seen as an isolated uh, subject matter and I think once it's integrated with a lot of other disciplines I think that's when the true power is and you can reach a lot more people and you can and you can see the context right so it's even like how does it play into sports you know you've got so much so much of the wearable technology is is that intersect between sports and technology so 
Uh, that's the thing that I think is missing from that great first step where they can get a, a early exposure to, to coding through a lot of the drag and drop fundamentals and the robotics like B-Bots and Spiros that are everywhere. Uh, to those who do want that sort of different level of engagement. Something I've been very curious about, where did you get the name from? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Because <laughs> so one of the, one of the things is I didn't, and I'm definitely not a mark a branding <laughs> expert, but one of the things was that I wanted it to be sort of more unique. I guess when I saw a lot of what was out there was it was things like kids this or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Another thing was when I was going through in in the program, I was going through these are sort of three typical roles in a in a tech company, and I, I went through the hacker, hipster, hustler. And then, so the hipster was the designer. And then one of the girls actually said, I want to be a designer, but I didn't want, I don't want to have a mustache. And then she started looking at the other possibilities. But at first I thought it was, ah, oh, that was, you know, something that was just very surface level. But I realized how important it is and whatever it is you're trying to communicate, it's important how you, the imagery or how, how you project the, what you, your message. So then I wanted to think, was thinking, all right, something that sounds androgynous. And then I was just thinking about, G.I. Joe and G.I. Jane, and then I went G.I. Jamie, right, for something that's that's different. And it's all a bit, it's all going to be like growing inventors like Jamie, and Jamie was going to be a persona, right? However, the, the big problem I realized I came across was that I think none of the kids even knew who G.I.J. or G.I. Jane was. <laughs> showing, showing the age again, um, and that's something that I think, you know, is not ideal and I would change down the line, but, yeah, it's once I have more of a reason to do so, then yeah. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much none of them knew who it was. So that was a good lesson. <laughs> Are you currently just focusing around the local area in Melbourne, Victoria, or are you looking at expanding further? Yeah, the, the first, the staged approach I wanted to take was because the lowest barrier, while I'm working a full-time job, the lowest barrier of entry would be through you know, my local school, as well as ones where I've got a warm lead or I've done a lot of pilot programs with like Cheltenham. And the thing was that I wanted to validate that the online platform could be used on mass, like with a whole year level and then a whole school. And also the teachers could also use it and found a lot of value out of it. From that point, then I would, and then also in, in parallel, validate a revenue model or profit model, which is a business model. That's when I would look to when I had confidence that this is something that is providing that value and you can see that path to scale. That's when I would look to definitely scale further. Uh, unfortunately, I was on that step towards working out at a year level and that's when I guess got put on hold. And yeah, so that's definitely would like to, like I said, the, the biggest thing is I want the kids, the impact that when they finish the program, I want to be able to live that for a lot more in this, children in a sustainable way and that's i guess one of the big challenges at the moment so if a school wanted to engage with you whether they're local or interstate or possibly even overseas how would they go about doing that at the moment it's, it's sending an email to david at gijamie.com.au and um, international is a really interesting one because me personally i just love that um, it's very exciting when you start thinking about how do you localized content for different cultures for example um i'll give you an example on that one that i was talking to my ghanaian friend and you know one of the lessons is all around how do i make a difference in the world it's that act act think global act local and he was saying to me he goes you know in, in ghana what 
people think, you know, making a difference for the world, saving the world for Americans. They're just thinking about their own little community at this stage. Uh, I thought that was interesting. But, you know, that, I find that fascinating because I think when you learn more about other cultures, you become more empathetic and ultimately, I believe, a better person too. Uh, but to your point, I think with the content and, and the alignment which I was going for with curriculum, that's when I was first targeting on uh, Victoria first because each state's got its own, I guess, nuances with curriculum as well. There's like a national curriculum and then there's state-level curriculums and it seems like schools have a variety of both. <laughs> they're, they're pretty close, but, yeah, that, that's to your original question, that was the first plan. Thank you very much today for joining us, David. And for those listeners who want to learn more about David and his platform, go to gijamie.com.au. So thanks very much for your time today, David. Thanks so much again for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Funny. Uh, So GI Jamie, I would say, is a social enterprise where we want children to believe they can make a difference in the world. So we want to give them the, the confidence and the, oh dear, sorry. Now this. Oh man. Okay, that's the first one. <laughs>